0: You can turn in your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. We'll look at two passages of Scripture today, one uh, Tyler read for us already, Jeremiah chapter 31, and then Luke chapter 10. Does everybody have one of these inserts that came in your bulletin? Does everybody have one of these? Does this look familiar to you? Okay, in just a minute, I'm going to ask if you don't have one of these to raise your hand so our ushers can put one in your hand. Uh, But I want to tell you what this is. Uh, We are a part of a larger denomination called the Evangelical Covenant Church. Um, And and right now, during the month of March, churches around the country are focusing on being sent people being people who witness to the gospel of Jesus. And so uh, right now, around the country, there are churches who are uh, using this resource, using this tool, being intentional about who God has called us to, who God has called us to be salt and light gospel witness to. Okay, if you don't have one of these, can you put your hand up in the air so our ushers can give you one? You'll need one in a little bit. Just hold your hand up, and um, Jennifer has to walk all the way around, so um, just keep it up there until you have one in your hand. Um, we're going to come back to these at the, at the end of the, of the service. We're going to fill these out and actually leave uh, a portion of this insert with our ushers. And I'll explain a little bit more of that in a minute. But in order to understand, I think, what it means to be people who care about witnessing to Jesus, who, who care about people knowing about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, and is doing, in order for us to have a sense of why this is important, I want to tell you three things that are true about you today. Three things that are true about you if you have uh, uh, submitted your life to Jesus, if you would consider yourself someone who's um, been resurrected into new life in Jesus, someone who has submitted their life to Christ. I want to tell you three things that are true about you And hopefully these three things then will help us understand why it is that we are taking time to intentionally ask God to show us who we are being sent to. So here's the first thing that's true about you this morning. You are forgiven. Say forgiven. You are forgiven. You and I, we are forgiven people. Now, in the Jeremiah passage, and we can put that up there, um, in the Jeremiah passage, we see Uh, that God promises to His people a new covenant. Twice, in fact, uh, Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God, references an old covenant. The covenant that uh, Jeremiah says was made between God and God's people, the Hebrew people, when they were rescued, liberated out of their captivity in Egypt. This is a covenant relationship between the rescuing God and His grateful people. And because of this covenant, these people were to live as God's people, God's representatives, an alternative nation that would invite the world to return to their creator. But as we see, even in this passage, the people had broken this covenant in verse 32. They broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. So the imagery here is of a, of a, of a marriage of, a, of two spouses and God basically says, the people were unfaithful to me over and over and over again. And so Jeremiah is now writing and speaking to a people who are suffering the disaster of their unfaithfulness. They are in exile. They are suffering. Their nation is being torn apart. It's a reference of an old covenant, but then we see also in these few verses the new covenant. Jeremiah points forward to something new that God will do. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we find that the early church had come to understand Jeremiah's words, prophecy, about the New Testament to be about Jesus. This new thing, this new covenant the early church believed had happened in Jesus. And so the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews quotes not once but twice from this passage in Jeremiah to say this is what has been accomplished in Jesus. The old covenant is done. Something new has come. This covenant has been established through the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Messiah, the Son of God. So what is it? What is this new covenant? We don't talk about covenants a lot. It's not common in our language anymore. You, when you rent an apartment, you don't sign a covenant, right? You shouldn't. <laughs> um, if you do, you want to look into that. Um, we're used to contracts, transactions. This is a different language, covenant. So what is this new covenant? A covenant goes far beyond simple agreements and contracts. A covenant claims our identities, And so we see Jeremiah again speaking on behalf of God that the the people of God will now have God's law written on their minds and on their hearts. He says that the people of God belong to their God. The people of God know and are known by this God. This is what this new covenant is. But maybe the most powerful way of understanding this new covenant comes from the very final sentence in our passage today in verse 34. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the profound result of the new covenant of what Jesus accomplishes in order for us to experience. So the gospel, the accomplishment of this new covenant relationship with God, extends the possibility to everyone of living as forgiven people. Not people who get forgiven occasionally. Not people who can ask for forgiveness when they screw up. Not people who, 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 once they clean themselves up and get their act together, can be forgiven. This covenant offers the possibility to everyone of living as forgiven people. A change of identity. Earlier this week, um, Jason, your, what, your husband, I don't know where he is. Maybe he knew I was going to tell this story. He didn't want to be here. He's with the kids. He's a good guy, that Jason. Earlier this week, Jason and I were, were together, and we were talking about some of these things, and, and I wish i had had a tape recorder, and I would just play what he said. Um, but, but we were talking about honesty, and he said, you know, I'm learning um, the, the beauty of living an honest life. The difference of, of living a life of guilt and shame, where I feel like there's these parts of me I need to cover up. By the way, i got permission to tell this, okay? So just, you know, everybody just... The difference between that and living as a forgiven person. He said, there's a profound difference in how I experience even myself. He said, I feel more fully human I'm learning to live as someone who has been forgiven. This is what the new covenant does for us. It changes who we are. After the uh, the racial righteousness weekend, my, my wife and I were, Maggie and I were kind of debriefing it a little bit. And one of the things that kind of came up for us was how, um, you know, the more you get to know people and the more you really look at things, the harder things can seem. Has anybody ever had that experience before? You know, so for us, walking away from this weekend as, as good, as powerful as it was, there's part of us that goes, oh my gosh, this vision of living as a community is really hard. The, the, the types of experiences, the places we've come from, the ways that our society has categorized us and labeled us make it such that living as the people of God in authentic, reconciling community can feel to me impossible at times. Anybody else? Anybody else? And yet, there is for, for me, and I think for others of you, this sense that no matter how hard or impossible it is, there's really no other way I know how to live. There, there's this sense that as we, as we enter into this covenantal relationship with God, what, what was accomplished for us through, through Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, as we live as forgiven people, we're, we're actually changed. And so the things that God loves, we start to love. And so something like authentic community, reconciling community with all of its landmines and pitfalls, as, as hard as it can be, and some of us know this very well, there's still something in us that longs for it. Why? There are alternatives. You know this. There are different ways of living. You don't have to be here right now, participating in this mission right now, giving your life to this community right now. There are alternatives. Why? Because you and I are being changed. We're beginning to love the things that God loves. This is what the new covenant does for us. We can't miss this. The new covenant that is promised in Jeremiah, that is accomplished in Jesus, is a covenantal relationship with God that fundamentally changes us from the inside out. So if we understand the gospel to be primarily contractual or transactional, then we oftentimes will go on living as we lived before. But but if we understand the gospel to be a covenantal relationship with God, that actually reforms, transforms our very identities. Paul says, dead people made alive. Then you and I expect to live differently than we did before. Because we're new people. So, the second thing, we're forgiven people. The second thing that I need you to hear today is that we are sent people. Say sent. We're forgiven people, that we're, and, and we're also sent people. One of the ways that we are changed by our covenantal relationship with God is by living out of our forgiven identities. And when we do so, when we live out of who God is changing us to be, we find that we are no longer living for ourselves, our lives no longer revolve around ourselves. Instead, we find that we are being sent for the good of the world. And this is what we see in our passage in Luke today. Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 1 through 2 and then again 8 through 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. We are sent people. We are sent people in two different ways. One, we are sent by virtue of our calling. So Jesus commands, he calls these 72 disciples to go. He sends them. We see this at the end of the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus says, go, go, go and make disciples of all nations. He sends in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of this earth. He's sending them. You and I are sent people by virtue of our calling. We are also sent people by virtue of our identity. And this one maybe is a bit more tricky, so so, so think about this. Pay attention to this. We are created in the image of a God who sends and is sent. God, uh, the scriptures show us, is a triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Interacting in this mysterious triune relationship with God's self from eternity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we see over the course of the scriptures is that this God, the God who we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a God who both sends God's self and is sent by God's self. Does this seem weird to you? I get dizzy thinking about these things. But here's what we see. The Father sends the Son. and So the Son says, I can do nothing that the Father has not shown me, has not told me. We hear the Father speaking words of truth. This is my Son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. The Father sends the Son. And then when we come to the book of Acts. We see that Jesus, now resurrected, victorious King, reigning and ruling. The word is, pours out the Holy Spirit on his people. Sends the Holy Spirit. So there is this, this sense that God, in God's character, somehow, mysteriously, is a sending and a sent God. Say amen if you're sort of with me. Okay, alright, good. sort of with me is good enough. This is the God in whose image we are created. We are created in the image of a God who sends and is sent. And so, not just by virtue of our calling, but by virtue of our identity as women and men formed in the image of God, we are sent people. There are not sent Christians and staying Christians. Would you agree? Now, let's be honest. Most of us live as staying Christians, right? We like to stay. In fact, we probably like to think of of sent Christians as those professional Christians. like People like me. I'm not the only one in our church, though. We have other professional Christians in our church. Emily, you're a professional Christian. Lauren, you're a professional Christian. Kalia, Renee, Susan, people whose jobs it is, is to be sent to certain people, to college students, to refugees, to people who haven't encountered Jesus yet. So we think, well, well they're, the, they're, the, they're, the, they're the sent ones. I'll give some money to that. We're very grateful for those who God has called and sent to very specific people and very specific places. And we give generously so that these people can give their lives to this work. But make no mistake, there is no difference between sent Christians and staying Christians. Amen. We're all sent people. And I think this makes us nervous when we start to think about this. If it does, we need to pay a little bit more attention to our passage. If we get nervous thinking about our identity as Christians being sent people, then let's look closely at this passage. Look whose story this really is. It's not really the disciples, the 72's story. See, it's Jesus who appoints the 72. It's Jesus who sends them. The 72 go only to those places where Jesus is about to go. Jesus is the one who instructs instructs them. The harvest, we're told, belongs to Jesus. And even the field where the harvest is going to be reaped belongs to Jesus. You see, we are sent not haphazardly. We are sent to participate in God's mission in this world. God's mission of rescue and redemption and restoration. Whose mission is it? It's not a trick question, it's God's. It's always God's mission. It's always God's mission. It's never our mission. And so even in this passage, it's so easy for us to get focused on the 72. Oh, what were they feeling? Were they scared? Where did they go? Who did they talk to? This is God's story. It's God's mission. Jesus is the one who sends, who equips. Jesus is the one who does the work. It's Jesus's harvest. Yes. And so that that kind of pit in, in our stomachs that we get when we think about being sent people. Step back for a minute and remember whose mission it is, whose calling it is, whose work it is. It's not yours. You have a very, very small role in this story. You're like you're like you know the, that person in the movie who you just you're 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 you're, you're, you're like in the background, right? You're an extra. People aren't talking about you after the movie's over. It's not your story. It's God's story. We've said this before, though. God always has chosen to advance God's mission through people. So it's not accidental that we're called and sent. Always, God has worked through people to establish His priorities, to rescue His creation, to make His name famous. Always, always. But it's always God's Mission, always God's work, always God's story. Yeah? That needs to take a weight off of you today. We are forgiven people. We are sent people. And there's one final thing I want to say, and it's that we are kingdom people. We are forgiven people, sent people, and kingdom people. We need to get to this kingdom piece because... What does it mean to be sent? What does sent look like? It's not particularly helpful. Like, send where? Send to who? Send why? And other questions. How? It's not, I mean, it's it's great to have a theology of mission in the sense that God sends us, but what does it look like? So it's really important, I think, for us to see these last two verses where Jesus says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. What has come near? The The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. We are forgiven people. We are sent people. We are kingdom people. And I think if we can understand our identity as kingdom people, we can begin to develop a godly imagination for what it looks like to be sent people. Because it looks different for you than it does for me. But if we begin to understand that we are kingdom people, we're going to begin to have an imagination for what it is that God has called us to, what God has sent us to. So what does it mean to be kingdom people? Uh, that's like a, 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 a year-long sermon series. So I'm not going to try to answer that question, okay? I'm going to be Simple. Because I need to think simply about these things. There's three words. There's three commands in, in these two verses. Eat, heal, tell. I want to say for us this morning, this is what it means for us to be kingdom people who are sent by God. We eat, we heal, and we tell. These are these were, these were the instructions. This is what you do when you show up, when you're welcomed, when you find a home of peace Eat whatever set before you. Heal and then tell that the kingdom of God has come near. How many of you have had the opportunity to travel, kind of cross culturally, and uh, so you know, right? That one of the one of the things about cross cultural situations that's most challenging is eating, right? Now, not if you just are on your own and you can just kind of visit places and eat what you want, when you want, but when you're visiting somebody in their home and they welcome you into their home and you all of a sudden realize that you are now in this kind of like alternative universe of how things work, what protocol is, when you're going to eat. I went to Argentina when I was in college. You know, in Argentina, people don't eat dinner till like 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. I was hungry. Really, really. And tired, because even in college, I went to bed like at 10 p.m. every single night. So I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and I'm ornery, and I just. So what happens when we eat together? There's this profound vulnerability when we eat together. And maybe that's. Seems like a stretch, right? Because many of us, when we eat with people, we eat in restaurants, we eat on the run, we go through a drive through But that's not how eating happened back then. Eating was a profound act of hospitality where you welcomed somebody into your home. And maybe you knew them, but maybe they were a stranger because hospitality dictated that if a stranger showed up at your door, you welcomed them in. Certainly if you were of the same tribe, same people. By the way, there's a really good article on our website that a friend of mine wrote about hospitality. A guy who lives in Jordan, um, talking about kind of the Middle Eastern roots of biblical hospitality. So we get an idea of some of what this meant for people. Eat what's set before you. Now, this I don't think we're good at this, especially when it comes to gospel witness. Especially when it comes to things like evangelism. Do we think about eating? Is that your evangelism strategy? Now it is for Emily. She shared last week, so she's she's here. She gets this. Right? But is this how we tend to think about being witnesses to the gospel of Jesus? Is this how we think about proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near, that we eat together? Um, one of the things that I find fascinating in the early chapters of Acts is that Peter, one of the boldest disciples, Peter found it way easier to stand in front of hundreds of people who were angry and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. He found it way easier to do that than to go into a Gentile's home and have supper. You see? It's a little different for us, but maybe not that different for us. It's, it's pretty easy to do the upfront, you know, like what I'm doing right now. It's not that hard having people into your home welcoming strangers, welcoming those who don't have enough to eat, welcoming those whose story, whose history, whose culture is very different from your own. This can be complicated. Jesus says, "Uh, when they welcome you in, eat. (laughs) He doesn't just say eat, right? He says, eat whatever's set before you. He's like your grandmother, you know? (laughs) You eat whatever they put in front of you, you eat it you be polite to submit submit to what god is doing in this very vulnerable space so what does it mean for us to be kingdom people we eat okay one last thing one last thing i have no idea where my my, my notes right now um we're good at eating together and, and even as a church we're learning how to do this how to potlucks together how to spend time with one another that's very very important But Christians traditionally are good at hanging out with other Christians. It's safe. Especially if we stay in that pseudo-community that we talked about last week. That's That's not what's going on in this passage, is it? No, no. You're being sent to strangers, people you don't know, whose story you don't know, whose culture you might not know, whose history you may not know. They may even be your enemies. You may end up being invited in by a Samaritan. So so again, understand that, that when we're talking about eating here, we are talking about being kingdom of God people. Whereby where showing up to a meal, to a conversation, showing up to a relationship, showing up to that vulnerable place. Somehow the rule and the reign of Jesus in that moment is made known. Amen. We eat, we heal. Now, um, when we think about healing, uh, there, there's one aspect where we think about uh, uh, physical healing. And I, and I believe that is uh, very much a part of what's going on in this passage. Something at our church, we will pray for people for physical healing. Um, but, but, but there's this other element to the physical healings that we see in the Gospels. The physical healings that Jesus does are always meant to restore people into the life of the community are always meant to to make people fully human. And so there is one element where healing is about compassion and mercy, right? Just touching a physical need, relieving pain. And then there's this other justice side of healing. Where the people who Jesus touched, who Jesus healed, who Jesus spent time with, who Jesus resurrected, these were people on the margins. These were people who were now invisible in their society because of the disease they had, how long they'd had it, what the, the, the religious rules were about that. So there's very much a justice orientation to the healings of Jesus and to, and to what Jesus is commanding here. So yes, absolutely, we pray for physical healing, but we need to understand sort of how big this is. When we talk about healing, we're talking about compassion and mercy, yes, and justice as well. Amen? Being king people, being sent to participate in God's kingdom work is about justice. We talked a little bit about this last week, that, um, that we're not a church that is going to divide, pull apart evangelism and justice. We're not a church that's going to say, well, well, there's evangelism over here and then there's justice over here. And we're certainly not going to be a church that tries to prioritize one of those over the other. because This just does not how it works for Jesus. It's all tied up together. Why? Because the kingdom is coming. Not an evangelism strategy, not a justice strategy. The kingdom of God is coming. A whole new reality is coming where justice will rule. And so when we proclaim, when we witness to the gospel, we have to have justice tied up in that. Am I all by myself? Somebody say amen if you're with me. I once had, uh, I was going to speak somewhere, not here, and and somebody said, uh, we want you you to preach about evangelism and not justice. And, And this person said, justice, justice is pretty easy. You know, everybody likes justice. It's kind of the hot topic to talk about justice. But evangelism, that's the hard stuff. You know, that's where people get, Christians get persecuted for evangelism. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. (laughs) When we think that way, what we're basically saying is that the world more or less is a just place. So I can talk about justice and everybody's going to be happy about that. The reality is... That we may get persecuted for proclaiming the name of Jesus, but we will also certainly be pro- persecuted when we proclaim the justice of Jesus that has come for all people, that gets to the very roots of how our world works, the very roots and systemic structures of our country, of our neighborhoods. Amen? Yeah, so it's all tied up together. To be sent to people who are proclaiming the kingdom of God is to be people who are about healing. And then finally we tell there is an urgency in this passage. We don't see it real well in the verses I looked at today, but when you take the whole passage, there's some urgency here. Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom is coming, so you've got to tell people about it. This isn't theoretical. This isn't like you know everybody get together and believe the right things. It's like, no, this thing is happening. The Messiah has come. The kingdom is coming. I'm on my way to the cross. People need to know about this. There's some urgency here. And so we proclaim, we tell, we talk about it. And what do we talk about? What do we proclaim? It's not a trick question. Jesus says the kingdom. What are you going to tell them about? What are you going to proclaim? You're going to tell them that the kingdom of God is near. Oh, by the way, if you say that, you're probably going to have to say a whole lot of other things. Would you agree? Right? Like, you can't just knock on your neighbor's door and go, hey, the kingdom of God is here! Peace! Right? That's not, not helpful, right? There's a lot of conversation that's going to come around that. What does that mean? The world doesn't look like God's in charge, so how can you proclaim that God is in charge? How is this coming about? Where do you see the kingdom of God coming? Because when I look at the world, I see this. Where do you see evidence of the kingdom of God? You hear what I'm saying? Proclaiming the kingdom of God opens up all kinds of things for us to talk about. So we do proclaim, we do use our words, we do verbally witness to the gospel of Jesus, absolutely. To this new thing that is happening, this new covenant that is being accomplished, that has been accomplished for us. Worship team, come come on up, worship team. All right. So in a minute, I'm just going to give you some time to go back to those inserts in, in, your, in your bulletin. I'm hoping that, that what we're talking about sounds very familiar to you. Because this, this, this strategy, eat, eat, heal, tell, this is just what Jesus did. This is all Jesus did. There's nothing innovative about this. Jesus, you go through the Gospels, just look for all the places where Jesus is eating with people. There's a lot. All the places where Jesus is healing people, restoring people, their dignity, their humanity back to them. And in those places where Jesus is proclaiming, he's, he's not handing out a track going, here's the two, three things you need to know. What is he doing? He's telling stories about this coming kingdom of God. Stories that are inviting people to step into a new reality because Jesus says, this, this whole thing is changing. Up is down. Down is up. Let me tell you some stories to invite you into what God is doing. So all we're doing is we're copying Jesus. We're following Jesus. We're not being that innovative. We're not being that cute. We're just doing what Jesus did. The one who invited us, who made possible this new covenant relationship with God where we live as forgiven people. That's the one who we're following. That's the one who we're copying. That's the one who is showing us what it looks like. So who? Who is God sending you to? So, so, so in, in, in your bulletin, in this insert, this is how this thing works. I know you all are very smart people, but I'm just going to kind of tell you how this works. Um, on the left side of it, there's a quadrant. This is just to kind of spur your imagination a little bit. God, who have you placed in my life? Where do I live? Where do I work? Who are my neighbors? Who are my friends? Who's in my life right now? Who's in my life who you might be sending me to right now? Now, again, as you're thinking about sending, what are you thinking? You're thinking about eating. Healing, telling. So just use that to jog your memory right now. Anybody need a pencil or pen? Hold up your hand. We got extra pencils. We're going to hand those out. Just keep your hand up. And then over on the right, there's, there's the, the first section. That's, that's for you to just stick in your Bible somewhere where you'll see it regularly. These are the people who you want to be praying for regularly. What I want you to do is to keep that. Uh, hold your hands up if you need a pencil. Keep that bookmark. Wherever you uh, have your community group materials. So when you go to community group, you have that bookmark. You can share with your community group members. These are the people who God is sending me to. Does that make sense? And then all the way on the right and the darker, the darker colored all the way over on the right. This is what you're going to leave with us today. And you're just putting in a number. And and maybe that seems kind of trite, right? It's not a competition, I don't care if you put one people or 15 people. No one's going to know who it is anyway. So, But, but this is what's going to happen with these, these cards all the way over on the right that you're going to leave here with us. We're going to gather these, and these are all going to be brought to our, to our uh, uh, denominations meeting, where, again, churches from around the country are doing this this month. And our denominational leaders and pastors are going to be praying for you, praying for our church, praying for the people who God is sending you to. So this isn't just like a one-off thing, just one little thing that we're doing. This is a part of a a much bigger picture of what God is doing through the bigger church that we're a part of, okay? So we're just gonna give you a few minutes right now. Listen to the Holy Spirit, fill in some names, and then uh, just jot jot the number down of of those individuals who God is sending you to. On your way out today, the ushers are just gonna have the offering baskets by the door. If you can just drop that in the basket, then we'll collect those, we'll send those off. Let me pray for you. God, I ask now uh, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us. We know that there is an urgency about this because, this was a, because you were urgent about this. You are urgent about this. You, you taught us to pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. And so we follow you in this today. I, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you give us a new mind about these things. Some of us have kind of written off anything having to do with evangelism. Some of us have been scared by this. God, I pray that instead that you give us a new mind for this, a new imagination for this. Show us the people who you have in our lives, who you've called us to eat with, to invite into our homes, to get to know over meal, to be very, very present to. Bring to mind those individuals, communities, neighborhoods that need healing, Maybe you've given us something, you've equipped us some way that allows us to bring your healing, compassion, mercy, justice. find those who simply need to hear this beautiful proclamation, the kingdom of God is near. Forgiveness is near. Justice is near. Reconciliation is near. Grace is near. Love is near. Speak to us, please, Jesus. So, um, I sing one last song. Um, I want to go and give you the benediction now and then just leave as you need to leave. Yes, are going to be at the door with these baskets. Please uh, drop those uh, cards, those response cards on your way out. For next week, we're here at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. 10 10 a.m. And so, Lord, we ask that you would now send us as you always have. Would you send us to be those who are looking for opportunities to sit down, to eat, to listen, to share, to be deeply rooted in people's lives. Would you send us out to be people who heal, who aren't afraid to look at the hard stuff in our city, in our neighborhoods, who aren't overwhelmed by these things, who don't inoculate ourselves from them because you are with us. You go before us, you walk beside us, you come behind us. Help us, send us this week to be those who tell, to proclaim the kingdom of God has come near, that there is hope, that there is forgiveness, that there is rescue. We commit our city to your hands, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would protect, guide, comfort, but we know that you choose to do these things through us. So send us, Lord, send us. sing together, and then we'll see you next week.